Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. fighters in close formation. Stick to the plan, and the recapture of our vessel is a mathematical certainty. Sue's been upgraded with the latest tactical software and downloaded into an unobtainium-plated battle wagon, making her impervious to anything the Endeavour has in its arsenal. We distract the enemy by looking like we're about to make an attack dive, when in fact we're just flying in circles outside of their weapon range, providing a necessary distraction so that Sue can fly through the blind spot in their force field, breach the enemy's hull, and then scores of loyal Aegis droids will board, wipe out the baybots, recapture our stolen vessel for us, and all we have to do is fly around in these flimsy unarmed fighters for a bit and have a lark. This was well worth weeks of meticulous planning. I confidently predict no problems. Oh, hang on. What's that big ugly thing the Babebots are stuck on the back of the Endeavour? If I didn't know better, I'd say it looks like some kind of giant super cannon. I wonder what it really does. cherished since our childhood. Don't be ridiculous. At Big Bay Studios, it is always time to ruin classic movie tropes many have cherished since their childhood. Um, as emotional as this moment is, I should point out that the baby drones appear to have beaten us. We're completely surrounded. Indeed you are, 80s kids. Indeed you are. Now you will feel the power of Big Bay and I, Deathly Buff, will have my revenge. I'm sorry, have we met? Have we met? What manner of insolence is this? Maybe you will feel differently when we meet. Face to face. Drones, escort these miserable wretches to the bridge. Finally, they will recognize the error they made all those years ago. Well, that's it then. Looks like we're done. This is terrible. Sue's been destroyed, Big Bay has stolen our ship, and Leo's gone dark. He's just mumbling something to himself over and over. Let's see what it is. Boost amplifier signal and clean up white noise. I know all those years as an audio editor will pay off in the end. So good. So, so good. When we were married in 2009, 
Went to see District 9 at the pictures. Oh, those were good robots. Such good robots in 2009. Oh, dear. He's regressed into a fantasy world where it's 2009, thinking about cinema visits. Ah, yes. I went along to that. It was a good evening. We had Chinese food afterwards. And I suppose my invitation was lost in the post, was it? I believe you cried off. Something about having moved to Australia? Yes. Yes. But you were there in spirit, Ian. But my spirit is pretty bad at cruising the starter trays for more pancake rolls and barbecue ribs. So that's not much good, really, is it? You should have been there, Ian. 2009 was such a magical time. Was it, Leo? Was it really? Maybe we better sit down and discuss this. Uh, if you get through the trauma, then maybe you will be in your right mind in time for this dirth buff guy to torture us into insanity. So, 2009. Yes, indeed, it would seem that maybe my mind is not all that it once was. For here I am, considering calling 2009 a magical time. But was it? Was it indeed? Well, we're about to find out, for we are the 80s kids. And uh, while we slowly drift along towards our death, what better thing to do than discuss the films of 2009? But I am not alone in this discussion. No, joining me tonight are... Uh, I am Ian, uh, here for the final year show, but I'm not alone, for at my side I have... Justin! I might not have been here for the entire duration, but I'm certainly here for the end. So here we are. Uh, the first thing we're going to get out of the way right away, because it goes nowhere else in any of the other lists, is that 2009 is the year that Terry Gilliam brought out the uh, much-troubled Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Now, saying a Terry Gilliam film is much-troubled is like saying uh, Terry Gilliam made a film. I-, I can't even bring myself to say that this one was particularly troubled, even though one of its main characters died halfway through filming. That apparently is not enough to stop the film. Uh, Half of the course in the Gilliam Gilliam film, isn't it? Yes, so there we go. Um, I I looked forward to it. I have to say that I think the Zero Theorem is more the kind of thing that I like. Still not 100%, but uh, it was interesting, certainly. Did you see this, Justin? I did, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't, it's not one of my favourite ones, I have to say. But, you know, you're always in for a dazzling, um, theatrical experience with Gilliam. So, so it's certainly pleasing, uh, to the palate, uh, to the eyes. I mean, yeah, I mean, the story does, in fact, can survive, you know, people being replaced because it's so kind of strange. I just found it a bit confusing, really, as the kind of mass release. It's like that, that didn't really help. I think there's a thing like Time Bandit, uh, by contrast, has a sense of crazy magic about yeah. it. Now, it could be that because obviously I think possibly a lot of that gets infused post-production, uh, like it has to be made in a particular way. I think Gilliam just wanted to sort of get shot, you know, finish it yeah. and get it out because it is incredibly uh, depressing to have one of your actors pass away during filming when you're all wrapped up in that intense process uh, and so I think there was a certain e- effort to which they wanted to finish it to honour Heath Ledger yeah. but that at the same time he didn't quite have enough of the magic dust, I mean it is particularly incoherent even for Terry Gilliam yeah. uh, so there we go I take it you've probably not seen it Ian no, this is the period of time where really I was only seeing the big tentpole movies and I wasn't renting DVDs and I wasn't watching much television 
So this is a great black hole is opening up in my film knowledge here. But there's a few few things to be said about yeah. this year. I would say that uh, although I don't think me and Justin have done a good job of really recommending that it's a must see, I think it is a sort of, uh, you know, any Gilliam film really is worth seeing once yeah. for seeing. My favourite is not, it is not, you know, diminishing it in, in its, you know, worth of watching yeah. um so yeah no, no check it out absolutely how do, how do they work around the Heath Ledger being dead issue yeah i mean it has a dreamlike quality to it and it works it does work but yes it but as i say adds to as they were saying called the, the general coherence uh, incoherence of it but yes they get they get away with it yeah there was a slight rewrite where a thing where the Heath Ledger character is kind of i think uh, romantic with one of the other characters and the way that they get around it is to say well she wants him to be someone else. So in the Imaginarium, he is a number of different people, a number of other different actors who I think agreed to go kind of either lowly credited or uncredited, yeah. took the place of Heath Ledger in those sequences because it's meant to be Heath Ledger's character. So I had to get that out of the way because there really was nowhere else to put it. But yeah. now uh, let's get down to the list. And, and there are many questions. I think this is what I found. Carving up the, the, the 2009 turkey, it, it does leave you with a lot of questions. First of it, other than that, was it a good year to be at? And we're going to give a number of things that it could have been a good year to be at this or not. For a start, there were a lot of children's movies in uh, 2009. So uh, just to give you the rundown, we have Nine, Aliens in the Attic, Astro Boy, Cirque de Freak, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Coraline, Dragon Ball Evolution, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Inkheart, Monsters vs. Aliens, Night at the Museum Battle of the Smithsonian, Planet 51, Ponyo, Race to Witch Mountain, Secret of Moonacre, Up and Sheer LaBeouf Noise. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I've relegated Transformers to a children's movie because, well, it's a toy line movie and I, wow. there's not much content in it. For anyone else, so it goes. Yeah, there. I, I think but not in action or sci-fi. I think only young people with no understanding what a film should actually be it, like will appreciate Transformers. But in terms of like, you know, was it good child? Wow, there's some dark stuff here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a very. This is the thing you will find as we go through the list. It's a very confusing year mm. for fans of various things and for children because. Uh, that's quite a lot. It's quite a big slate of things which are aimed at various types of children. Yeah. I mean, let's take a moment to talk about Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. My experience of this as the resident uh, Harry Potter Luddite, oh, the last Harry Potter film that we did, dealt with was, was, to my mind, the one which was like, mm, well, that kind of happens. It's there. This one is not because this one's winding up for the end. And yeah. so it becomes everybody knows what they're doing. This is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. There it is. Off you go. And benefits, of course, from having what Komodo Mayo termed the unfortunate event as a sort of locus or centre of the events that transpire. It's burdened somewhat with its responsibility of being after all the others and before the end. But I think it does the job, really. It it does. And to be honest, the book is exactly the same. Like As you're reading the book, you know that, you know, this is merely just the beginning of the end. Um, and then obviously, it, you know, kind of, it's fulfilled in the, in the last one. So, so well, yes, the film. You, you, you say winding up to the end. It isn't winding up to the end. It's, it's not even the penultimate movie. Well, I'm kind of including the, the last two films as one thing for the sake of the story. 
Yeah. Uh, as as the book, you know, that there's one more book to come. So you're very much like, OK, we'll just get through this bit. There's some investigative stuff that needs to happen to lay the groundwork for the payoff at the end. You, it's the same feeling. You're like, and I know there's two more films to come. You you are yeah. getting ready to go. OK, this needs to happen first. But I would. Uh, I, and to replicate that, fine. You know, it's like it is what it is. It's. I wouldn't even count this as their darkest hour. I think the first half of Deathly Harrows um, is darker. Um, the thing is, by this stage, you know, we've got the director who's staying on board and he knows what he's doing and it's fine. You know, it's like they've, they've worked out how to do it now. They've worked out how to cut things so they don't have to include everything in the book. So it's pretty much like, OK, this needs to be done and it's and it's fine. It's perfectly valid, you know, as a film. Uh, but, you know, what we're really wanting for is the big finale. So it's only so it's always going to suffer from that. And the book is the, the book is exactly the same. I haven't read Half Blood Prince, but, but I have read. I do read Wikipedia pages, like you know, specialized Wikipedia pages to absorb lots of background information because I love that kind of thing. Uh, is it very clear to the uninitiated, you know, person who hasn't read the book, the Muggles of the viewers, that the Half Blood Prince is Snape, and why um, he's called Half Blood Prince for that matter? Yeah. Is it clear? I don't uh, think it was at all. Yeah, it's always clear in the books. Everything's much clearer in the books. I mean, you know, you, you always sacrifice a certain amount of clarity it's, for the films. I, because I, I, I have to say, as someone who doesn't read specialist Wikipedia pages and uh, all of this kind of stuff, I know that the Half-Blood Prince is Snape. I've kind of inhaled that through culture somehow, somewhere along the line. As to why, well, I I kind of know that's something to do with him being half muggle or something. As yes. to why he's a prince, maybe it's because he recorded uh, such hits as 1999 yeah. and uh, Raspberry Beret. But I'm it's not the really teacher sure. of dark arts, formerly known, or to, uh, potions, formerly known. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't think it really matters. I mean, does it? Um, it's meant to, that when you start reading it, you're meant to think that it's something else, and so then you know it's. So it's oh, well, I never thought it was something else either. But it's meant to have a little bit of mystery until you kind of go, oh, okay, right. Yeah, uh, just you. Uh, that's assuming that you haven't looked and checked everything out just beforehand. To pull the scales from your eyes. Yes, he is half blood. He's half muggle, but his mother was pure blood, and the mother's maiden name is Prince, so he's the half blood prince. Oh, I see. Surname. Right. Well, I could see how that got past me, being as that's fairly mundane. But there we go. OK, cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when, the thing that comes out of that discussion really is that uh, adaptations of big novel series are clearly tricky. And, and in fact, it does lead to the supposition for all you Game of Thrones fans that not knowing what the end of the book series is due to the fact George R. R. Martin is still waiting on that delivery of pencils, which, you know, <laughs> we're getting a pencil watch is uh, is is still continuing. Oh, don't get um, me started on Game of Thrones right now. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not really going to. But the point is, it might be better that that finishes bef- as a television series before it finishes as a set of books. Because I think if you n- see the end of a television series, then having a different ending in a series of books will make the books just as exciting. But then if you did it the other way around, for some reason culturally we see it that if the book ended one way and the film ends another, well, the film ruined the ending, didn't it? I mean, that's the way that people generally see it, not it's something different. And I think there is this whole thing of, well, you know, Harry Potter did the job, it's there, it exists. And that's not how people want you to think about your film. They were, oh, I was on the edge of my seat right until the end. But I think that was kind of an impossible task and i think in fact 
Harry Potter's last three outings at the cinema benefited enormously from probably having a director who kind of went, well, nobody's ever going to see these as well. They're so exciting. I paid for the whole seat, but I only needed the edge. They're just going to go, yep, that works. So let's go for that. And, and I think that's great. If he'd fought against that, it could have ruined the whole thing. And uh, kudos (laughs) to someone for agreeing to produce an incredibly difficult project of that sort. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so other things to pick out here. Aliens in the Attic was terrible. Astro Boy, I want to see, but, uh, I missed my chance when it was on television last and you can't get it anywhere else. So, but it's, uh, it's, it looked from the, the five minutes of it I've seen, it looks really mad and interesting. Uh, Cirque de Freak is really mad and interesting. Yeah, really good fun film, didn't do well at the box office and so no. was passed over for further opportunity. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs That's is fun. the funniest thing I saw at cinema. Yeah. That year, um, and Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are genii of a rare comic type who have, you know, Cloudy with a Chance Meatballs, both Jump Street movies, the Lego movie, and a sequel to Cloudy with a Chance Meatballs. I mean, these guys know how to turn a gag, so, you know, that's great stuff. Coraline is yet another interesting failure from the mind of Neil Gaiman. Uh, imagine Neil Gaiman and Terry Gilliam made a movie together. Mm-hmm. Um, blimey. That would be a strange night at the cinema. Dragon Ball Evolution, less said about that, the better. I'll come back to G.I. Joe in a minute for I have a couple of things to say. Inkheart was just Inkheart breaking. It was, it looked as if it would be good and then it wasn't. Monsters vs. Aliens was perfectly adequate. Uh, and one of the few times I've been to the cinema to see 3D and it wasn't mind meltingly annoying, but then it is an animation that was made to be seen in 3D in the first instance and it's a perfectly decent movie i don't think the 3d adds anything it's just it was fine night at the museum is well more night at the museum a very long movie for something that is just a bit of fluff about museum exhibits coming to life planet 51 is a ropey cg animation which has some nice gags in it and uh, all the vocal performance you might expect for from dwayne johnson if you can't see dwayne johnson he is necessarily diminished for he is a physical presence and not a vocal one. So there we go. Uh, Ponyo is mad as toast. Race to Witch Mountain, you could see Dwayne Johnson in that, and so that worked a lot better. I mean, it's a fairly humdrum entry in the Witch Mountain saga, but it has some nice moments in it. Secret of Moonacre is a bit soppy and slightly mad as toast. Up is definitely a children's movie. Now, all you adults out there who are like, no, that is our movie, and a child could not hope to understand that first 15 minutes... Bugger off, it's a children's yeah. movie. Yeah. And, well, we're not going to discuss Transformers because I have nothing to say. Justin has nothing to say. We don't have to talk about Sheila Booth. And, of course, we know Ian didn't go and see it at the cinema. And I think we transformed enough in 2007. So there we go. But, yes, returning momentarily to G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. I only saw this at the cinema. I do own it on DVD, but I've, it's, it's one of these things which is like, if I believed in such a thing, I would term it a guilty pleasure. Instead, I would rather say it is something I would put on and have a fun time knowing that it was completely derivative tosh. But I have never put it on again. I don't know why, because it was perfectly good fun. And the second movie was perfectly good fun as well. I mean, they're fun movies. The thing that most amazed me about G.I. Joe, the the first one, is how much it rips off the original Star Wars trilogy without any shame on its face whatsoever. I mean, it is just basically Star Wars in G.I. Joe land, more or less. 
there's so much stuff in it. It's like, yeah, this is a bit like Star Wars, really. Yeah, this is still a bit like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I mean, I I had to say, you know, GIG passed Joe passed me by as a child. I, I know I know Leo was into it. I I wasn't, so I had no real like nostalgia factor going to see this film. So I was just accepting what it was, and it was perfectly fine. I don't think having a historical love of the G.I. Joe universe would really be of service to you in this new run because Hasbro nakedly are just trying to sell new toys off the back of the old ones. And unlike the Transformers, I don't know quite what the deal is here because maybe it's because the way that Michael Bay screwed up the design of Transformers stuff was ideal for Hasbro because it meant they could write off all their old toys and make brand new toys which look like the new stuff and therefore that was good because it made them money because nobody wanted the old classic transformers anymore now they wanted the shiny new ones for christmas and so that was much better and i think gi joe had a much rougher ride in the sense that after this first one which they were perfectly happy with the studio decided to put the second one on ice because they didn't think it would make them much money and then they released it when they had agreed to a christmas release they actually put it out in february when it's no bloody use to anyone because nobody's going to be buying any toys off, off the back of it. So Hasbro, uh, in a very literal sense, picked up their toys and went home and uh, haven't been able to secure another distributor for G.I. Joe movies, which is they have. I mean, the problem that they have is that a distributor will say, well, nobody's going to go and see this as cinema. Yeah, great. We'll make you like a two hour toy movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it. But. We, nobody's going to go and see it so we're not going to make any money obviously you have to pay us a lot of money to do that and hasbro don't want to pay them that much money and that's why we haven't had gi joe 3 because quality especially bearing in mind the fact the second gi joe movie actually did pretty well after all this arguing so yeah it's not quality that counts here it's the fact that hasbro want a big toy advert and by golly it works but yeah being a fan of the old stuff really doesn't do you a service because it just hurts when they ruin it Ah, okay same as transformers really to bundle up the rest of the children's movies into one package it varies between things that are just weird e.g. Nine, Coraline, Astro Boy, Cirque yeah. de Freak and things that are just disappointing Aliens yeah. in the Attic, Dragon Ball Evolution in Car. So is it a good year to be a child? I mean there's certainly a lot on the buffet it's just that when none of good, it is When it's good it's great but there's not much of it. No it's... exactly Yeah I think it's a little bit bleak child wise at this, at this t- part time uh, and in a similar vein, uh, is it a good year to be a sci-fi fan? Because this is the year that brought us Avatar, District 9, Moon, Outlander, Pandora and Push, Splice, Star Trek, Surrogates, Terminator Salvation, The Box, The Road, Underworld, Rise of the Lycans, Taking a Pelham 123 and Watchmen. What's Taking a Pelham 123 doing here? Oh, sorry, I must have moved that wrong <laughs> into the wrong list. I mean, trains exist, Leo. They're, they're real. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I'm going to move that now into the list marked better explosions. That's later on. Spoilers, everybody. Oh. Uh, um, but yeah, so. I think it's looking overall, overall, generally, it's looking pretty good for, for sci fi. Yeah, I, think. I mean, once I'd added everything in, it doesn't look too bad. And I think this is more a case of there's some good stuff, there's some controversial stuff. Yeah. Uh, Avatar, I'm looking at you. And then there's some stinkers in yeah. there. So I'm real, real. Although controversial isn't just Avatar, there are people who absolutely love Push. And that's fine. I'm sure there are some people who are cult fans of the box, but you know, whatever. Can I, um, can it, I be controversial? Yeah. 
I enjoyed Avatar. I even enjoyed it in 3D. I, I consider it to be a, a, a genuine 3D experience. It was made to be 3D, and, and I, being 3D was supposed to be part of the experience, and I quite enjoyed the yes. movie for what it was. I think that bearing in mind the fact that, that you're right, because I've never seen it in 3D, and in 2D, it's a bunch of rubbish. <laughs> um, I was actually disappointed with the 3D stuff. I was, um, It was talked about and hyped, and I actually went, oh, I, don't, I mean, I really don't like 3D stuff. And so, I, but I, I went, well, it's designed for that, so I'll watch it. And I didn't get it. I don't know why. I just went, I'm not really, I'm not getting the benefit of this. Oh, I'd I'd rock don't get me it. wrong. I suppose the technology is quote unquote groundbreaking. And to be honest with you, the 3D is not the thing that lingers in my head as it was part of the experience of watching it was the 3D. There is no original ideas here whatsoever. It's a, a, utterly no. derivative. Feed in all the elements you want into a computer and press generate script. Little little green bar fills up, script pops out. I totally agree. It's full of schmaltzy ideas, and it's a very ancient idea about, you know, here comes the white hero to save the savages against the nasty white uh, colonists, imperialists that have turned up. Unobtainium is a stupid name for a metal to be fighting over as well. But yeah. in terms of a derivative idea, I thought it was a, a relatively well-polished derivative idea. It seemed to be quite an exciting world. I can understand why some people really wanted to be sucked into this better fantasy world. Yeah, the ecology of the world. I mean, obviously, you know, I admire uh, all the work that went into it and the creature design. That's all fine. You know, and I will look at that, my artistic view, and go, wow, that's really, very pretty. Um, for me, though, it wasn't enough. It was way too long for the story. I didn't think the story... I really like an enormous film of this type. So I, I came out of it rather kind of my, my buttocks were sore and I was rather disappointed. And let, let us not forget the influence of Sam Funsucker Worthington, who made yeah, this film. Oh, I mean, yeah. this is the thing. This is a film of battles that were won and wars that were lost. Sam Worthington wanted to be the next big sci-fi action dude and then found to his detriment that he sucks all the fun out of any film he's yeah, in but to, and therefore no longer has a career to be fair for most of the films sam worthington is a blue furry and he's much more tolerable like that i found <laughs> well whatever just imagine if all the hype well not hype but the actual statements of things that they expected they expected avatar to be on a par in cultural history with terminator and alien and the other James Cameron stuff because they said well it worked for Titanic I mean that's got James Cameron's name attached to it and everyone expected it to haha sink without trace but did it no it's still a thing even today well, so I think I, they I, had good you're right Avatar did quite well as I recall I didn't think he did poorly. Yes, oh no, he did. It no, had, they won it had that battle. Stalwart fact. Yeah, they won that battle. And to be fair, the problem with it is they've, they've just taken too bloody long to get the sequels out. I appreciate James Cameron is trying to do quote unquote groundbreaking visual effects here. And this is why it's taking so long because he literally has to invent the cameras to do what he wants to do. And I think, I think it's that gap that has diminished Avatar. I think if we'd had like Avatar I, 2 out by now, we might feel different about it. I would I would disagree with that wholeheartedly on the grounds that you don't understand what I mean by battle and war. The battle was, will people rock up to the cinema? This Remember, 3D was something they did in kids' movies. People were already grumbling about having to pay extra money for glasses, particularly as everything that had come out up to that stage was kids' movies. So this was the first adult movie. So no, you were going to get something out of paying the extra money to watch this in 3D. And they won that battle. It, it was a big phenomenon when it was at the cinema. But the whole war is that then, does the film have a life 
afterwards because for god's sake you know joss whedon gets the job directing the avengers in part because firefly and serenity although both were unpopular enough to get cancelled and to bomb at the box office the length the long tail on those products is absolutely I mean, they still have firefly conventions today the firefly and serenity are cultural icons yeah avatar they made a big deal about the dvd release and nobody could be bothered I don't know anyone who goes, oh, I'm well, just going to stick know, Avatar on for a laugh. It's they the, don't. It's one of the few things I count as a cinematic experience. You yeah, know, it's fine. With, with most of the Marvel films, I've seen them on DVD, I'll be honest with you. But Avatar is like, no, it's the sort of thing I go see in the cinema, and I haven't bought it on DVD again since, but I remember seeing it and going, hmm, yes, that was, again, technically very good, technically very well polished, and yes, you know, turn off your higher thoughts and just let yourself go with the schmaltzy escapism. Well, I think that, and that is exactly the thing. I think that you very much, you don't buy many DVDs, Ian. And I think when somebody is like a collector, like me, who goes, I want all the interesting cultural things, all of them. And I get to Avatar, I go, that is not an interesting cultural thing. Mm. And I move on. And everybody tends to agree well, with me. This is the thing. I had a DVD clear out the other week. And do you know what survived? Independence Day. I'm not really that keen on Independence Day. But when it came to throwing it out, I was like, Mm, no, Independence Day is a thing. Avatar doesn't even get on the shelf to go in a DVD cull because I don't want to watch it ever again. Mm. Oh well, we'll see how we feel once more Avatars come out. In terms of not necessarily like groundbreaking effects, but the thing that shook me up was District Nine. Like in terms of like sci-fi, like doing something generally different. And that was because it was doing something different, different with with plot and tone and theme. And those things, I think, are more important to play around with than just technology. I remember being utterly blown away by District 9. Yeah, District 9 is uh, pretty uh, weighty. It's weird. It's the one film, I don't own a copy of it, but I'm a, I'm actually quite a big fan. And I love Charlto Copley, uh, but I didn't know I did when I went in because nobody knew who he was. But I love him. I think he's a great actor. But, mm. yeah, it's, it's mental. Yes, I mean, I think it, there's a lot of very refreshing elements to this film. It, you know, the guy it, it lead is not a hero at all by any stretch of the imagination, uh, and it, it's quite gritty and grim and, and nasty, and it feels like it's it's giving you some kind of social message as well. I'm not entirely yeah. sure if that translates. After I came out, I was like, well, there's a few problems in there. I think it's a bit weird that this goo is also their fuel and also transforms you into one of those. Groups. That seems a bit overly complicated for what it is. But in terms of the ideas that are in play here, as like well here is a higher form of science fiction i haven't seen for a very long time in cinema and so i am giving this film props because i want to encourage this kind of behavior these things have have had an effect because we've also got moon outlander is, is is something trying something different pandorum was trying something different it has to be said push was trying something different blyce wasn't trying something different uh surrogates was trying to be an interesting idea it was really trying bless it it was really trying it still came last but hey whatever the box was definitely trying something different but then it's 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 kelly so we like a lot of the sci-fi that got released was all trying ooh, yeah. and the road did anyone actually ever see the road uh yeah nope. oh god yeah i've seen oh, it oh just seen it oh dear how was that well you know all the fun you could expect from you know post-apocalyptic kind of doom and gloom well all the fun you can expect from a version of mad max which takes place at night with Viggo mortensen and instead of having a hot rod he has like, a shopping trolley as i yeah, understand it it's pretty bleak it. it's pretty bleak that's all i'm saying 
<laughs> I was playing a lot of uh, a certain computer game at the time, which was dealing with similar. Uh, oh, it was a Fallout. Dealing out with similar themes, and I was having more fun there because there was giant robots and monsters and mutants to shoot at. So this was like that devoid of all of the fun. So it was like, yeah, great, okay, that's that's great. Um, if I really want to think about post-apocalyptic world, then it probably would be like this, deeply depressing, and like, great, there's a couple of hours of my life devoted to that. If you wanted a pop, pop post-apocalyptic world that was filled with robots and monsters and things to shoot at, surely Terminator Salvation was your go-to. <laughs> Terminator Salvation, a film so it's, it's, bad, it was sent back through time to terminate the Terminator franchise, and it nearly succeeded. You know yeah. me, guys. You know me, guys. I'm a huge Terminator fan, and uh, is Sam Worthington in this as well? Yes, he is. He sucked the out of this as Let's well. deal with him. Well, he's been dealt with, so that's good. Yeah. You know oh. me. I, I am a huge uh, Terminator fan. I've seen all versions of Terminator, apart from this one. I have never seen Terminator Salvation. I was um, I was warned off it rather strongly, and I had a bad vibe about it anyway. Every, every time I say, "Oh, I haven't seen that film," everyone says, "Don't bother." So I'm just going to skip it and go straight to Genesis and get disappointed <laughs> by that instead. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You see what about yeah how the tables will have turned for while you go and see Terminator Genesis and then come back and say don't bother going to see that. Everyone else will be going. Yeah, we saw it coming because we went to see Salvation because the audience are always one movie behind. So yes, having experienced Salvation, this is one of the big uh, things I think that is standing in Genesis's way is that generally the audiences are remembering Salvation and before that they're remembering Terminator Three and then they're thinking Terminator two was that like 25 years ago blimey it was oh uh, well they haven't made a decent terminator movie in 25 years why should they start now and that'll be the end of that really i mean just to run through the others uh moon is uh two sam rockwells arguing with one another while kevin spacey is, uh, is is hal in the background very much worth seeing if you haven't done so just to see what one actor can do by himself for an hour and a half stranded on the moon outlander we've already discussed elsewhere pandorum i kind of wanted to watch this again because i wanted to if I was unfair I wondered if it was one of those things where I was expecting one thing and I got another and that's what made me disappointed it pushes like a 90s superhero movie like where they're embarrassed about there being superheroes in it so they keep trying to push up dark edgy material at the expense of fun and that's, that's I think that but there are people who really like that movie Splice is the most dunderheaded piece of uh, yeah. science fiction horror I think I've ever seen which is a surprise because it comes from the man who bought you those little know-nothing movies like Cube and Cypher and it's like, really? So he made Cube and Cypher, and then he read the script for this and thought, oh, that's jolly good, I'll make this as a film. Instead of, I made Cube and Cypher, this is so far beneath me, it's not even true. Weird. He must have been having a funny, maybe there was something, mushrooms or something. Maybe he <laughs> smelt fudge when there was no fudge. Yeah, so uh, there's that. Surrogates is Bruce Willis again trying to do... The thing about Bruce Willis is he's very game. Sometimes he gets behind a project and he really pushes it even though he really shouldn't bother. Trying to inspire so many people with these terrible projects that just are so boring and tedious and mediocre can cause hair loss, I understand. <laughs> I really had a problem with surrogates. It's just I didn't believe the world, right? I can, I've can. i got a pretty good tolerance. of. I will go along with whatever, if it's, a, if, if it's reasonably coherent, whatever, whatever fantasy we see up on the screen. But I did not buy the world of surrogates at all. 
I just so it was never going to start off well kind of going really this is what people are like really seriously like in 30 years time we'll all be living in our rooms and living out our work just going out looking no this is not going to happen and also no one could afford this stuff it's crazy so all it was already losing on me and then I just have to sit through going yep that was that <laughs> yeah um and then we've got uh obviously uh, underworld rise of the lichens we'll just mention plus i'm sure i've probably talked about it before it's michael sheen in leather trousers doing a prequel that isn't really a prequel but really just the first film in the trilogy <laughs> made after the other two for some bizarre yeah. reason i mean recently there there was something that i saw that was a prequel i thought yeah that's a prequel where it fills something in that's very important whereas this is just this is the first film. You just happen to have made it third for some reason. But it's a good film. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I still enjoy it. I own a copy. I like Underworld Rise of the Light. Yeah. So yeah. sue me. Uh, I would say, has anybody else seen The Box apart from me? I haven't actually seen it, no. Right. This is obviously, this is from the man who bought you Donnie Darko. That, I mean, that's all I really need to say. I mean, when it's his film CV is Donnie Darko, Southland Tales. And about, I kind of imagine that the, the executive producers, the studio heads who go to Richard Kelly are like, now, Richard, Donnie Darko worked. You were lucky. We have to accept you were lucky. He's like, yeah, I accept I was lucky. But we can't do that again. We know that you can direct a film because you brought Donnie Darko in and it made money. But we're about to give you some money. And what are you not going to do with that money, Richard? Make some completely incomprehensible piece of bizarre surrealism that isn't really for a mass market audience, but has loads of wacky special effects in it? Good. So if we give you the money, that's not what you're going to do, right? No. All right, then. Here's the money. <laughs> Off I go to make something that nobody will understand, but that has loads of flashy special effects in it. And that people are like, was that genius or just rubbish? I'm not sure. Uh, Southland Tales kind of is just on the rubbish end, although I do remember there are some bizarre moments in that that I might like to see again. The box is, is the, is the ultimate end of this. It manages to hold it together for quite a while, but then there's that point, much the same as Donnie Darko. Uh, I think this is a hallmark of Richard Kelly stuff. Southland Tales fails because you never understand what's going on in Southland Tales. Whereas Donnie Darko and the box both both share this thing where you kind of think you're following it for quite a long time and then there comes a moment and from that moment on the entire thing is just like what the hell am i watching and the box is like donnie darko turned up to 11 when it starts to go bonkers it doesn't hold back it's like someone slipped lsd into david lynch's lsd and then let him read the okay. second half of the script it is absolutely crazy okay. is it science fiction is it fantasy is it we don't know yeah i'd love to watch okay. it again okay. and, it's, and it's it we got uh, the star trek reboot yes I've, I've left star trek and watchman till last yeah i don't think there's much to say about star trek no. ironically i think it's just like yeah that was well ian is our resident star trek fan Ian, Star Trek. I have very complicated emotions about the reboots of Star Trek. Look, the, the situation we were in as Star Trek fans was an interesting one. Voyager was felt to be a kind of a mixed bag, and at the time, everyone felt Enterprise was pretty, pretty awful. And these days, there are just some people who think it got all right towards the end, and that's pretty much as good. But the general feeling was, we want Star Trek to die. The fans wanted the series to go off into the desert for a while and have a rethink about what it wanted to be. And, and it wanted to come back and try and be a 
popular piece of entertainment again. So in many ways, this is what we wanted. And I think it was a very clever mechanism they used to reboot by actually incorporating the reboot into canon. So it's like it's an in-canon reboot. It wasn't just like, back to the start, everybody. So that was very kind of them to do that. They didn't have to do that. And having Nimoy on board helped soothe everything. And it's a good cast and a nice director and a jolly action film. But it's not Star Trek, I'm sorry to say. My, I feel this way. In the shadow of Star Trek Into Darkness, overall, it's like, well, I'm glad it's back and people are watching it and glad people like Star Trek. But it's just it's just not Star Trek because Star Trek is fundamentally an episodic television series. It's my conclusion. People are very excited about this potential Doctor Who film. We're definitely going to have at some point in the future because BBC Enterprise are pushing for it. And it's like, it's going to be terrible. Why do people want a Doctor Who movie? It's going to be awful. Doctor Who is not, is not a film. It is a TV series. It comes in lots of episodes bundled together. It's a selection mm. box. Uh, same with Star Trek. I don't, it, it, it Star Trek is, it, I hate to say, well, I'm going to sound, you may disagree with me, is an intelligent, a popular science fiction series that pushes ideas, whereas films should be about these are good guys, these are broadly speaking bad guys, this is the thing at stake, they have a battle, woo, logic, end. I, so overall, I'm, I, I'm glad people are enjoying it. I'm glad the people are enjoying it, but for me, no, I'm, I'm afraid I'm still stuck in the 80s wearing a red uniform and it's where my heart belongs. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. But I would say, all I would say this in terms of films, Star Trek films, there's a lot of bad Star Trek films. Mm. And, still and are. We, but no, I'm just saying that. So because we don't have a series, we've got the films. And I think that for me, who's not a, a fan, particularly of the films, let's say, um, not, you know, with, with some notable exceptions, but most of the time I'm not enamored by them. I thought Star Trek did a great job because really it's appealing to Star Wars fans, which is something I always felt it needed. It with Star Trek films. They always felt like as a TV series, they work great. It works perfectly fine, as you say, you know, and that's obviously what it's designed for. The moment you put that on a big screen, you feel like there should be more action. It shouldn't just be the kind of the same format. And they always struggled with that. So well, Star Trek reboot pretty much went, right, this is going to be kick ass. It's going to be the pacing. It's going to have the drama that you would expect from something like the Star Trek franchise, Star Wars franchise. And so for me, that was exciting. I really, well, I mean, I absolutely love the reboot. All well and uh, good, but that's not Star Trek. I mean, they should be, well, it should be about solving a problem in some form or other. You can still have explosions around it and exciting yeah. set pieces, but there isn't really, uh, there's also quite a few sort of, problems with the film. I don't want to get into nitpicky about it, but the villain makes no sense. His motivations make no sense. The Federation failed to save my planet, so now I'm going to blow up all their planets. So that seems a, a, a bit of an odd grudge. You've traveled back in time. Why don't you try saving your planet? Go back to Romulus and say, hey, guess what? Your sun's going to explode in 80 years. Do you want to do something about that? No, no, no. I'm going to blow up Vulcan. I will give them. The destruction of Vulcan was a, was a genuine gut punch I wasn't expecting. And oh, no, exactly. But I think that for me, right, it was a solution to a problem that Star Trek has been having for years in that it has so much history behind it that becomes progressively oh, yes. hard I, I, I am to do stuff. All as you dumping continuity. 
and, and so in terms of films, you know, they, they kind of take they've took that mantle and have really struggled with it. And I thought from, from I mean, I can totally get your point as a Star Trek fan. I totally get that. But for someone who's not particularly a Trekkie, I thought to have a way of freeing yourself from that and starting something generally new was a very brave and a smart choice. So that the sky's the limit. Now we can go from the. And you know, I was hoping that there'd be a TV series, right? That would be a new thing. That's what I was hoping for. It hasn't. Obviously, it's not the direction they're really going. But I thought, wow, what an opportunity! You're doing the. You're pressing the big reset button, and now we can have something totally new and fresh. And I want to see more of that. And unfortunately, they did not follow that up with a sequel in the same way, which is which is laden with continuity. So that was a shame, and I was maybe at this stage when I saw it, thought, oh, the possibilities, this is going to be great, we're going to have a TV, not necessarily those actors, but we're going to have a, like maybe a TV series set in this alternate thing and something different, and, and I, I don't know, I got very excited about it, and um, but it hasn't manifested, and clearly they're no. just going along with the films, and it's not as exciting now, but, it, but I still think, for me, it was possibly one of the most exciting things that happened to Star Trek. You know, yeah, but then right. that's right. that's from someone who's not generally a fan. So I can yeah. I appreciate I to, appreciate what's yeah on. to to sort of uh, maybe try and bring these two perspectives together. I think that you're right, Justin, in that it, it, it's an exciting thing to happen to the franchise mm. in in the way when it happened in 2009. You know, you came out and, and you know Sue's comment was, well, that's the first Star Trek movie I've ever seen, which made me give a shit about Star Trek. So good, well done, marvelous. And and in fact, with the benefit of hindsight, when you move on and then there's Into Darkness and you. Just just like, I mean, Into Darkness is a chore. It really is. It's not something you go, oh, good, I'll watch that again. I've watched Star Trek, that the first Star Trek reboot, three times. Good, It's good fun every time. And but the point is, it is like it's a starting point. It's like, yeah, this is what... And when you say, oh, well, you know, maybe they have a TV series, not with those actors. Let's look at who those actors are. Chris Pine. Okay. Zachary Quinto, uh, he does a lot of television. Zoe Saldana, mm, she's not really busting the box office on a regular basis. Simon Pegg, he's never done television. Oh no, wait, he's done loads of television and he's British and cheap. And was it Carl Urban? Oh, he would never do a television series except for that one about him being a cop with a robot partner. Yeah, okay. So he did, in fact, do a television series after this. So basically, all of you and uh, John Cho, who is uh, Harold Kumar, they finished. So he's been in many other television series indeed as well. So really, you have a cast of television actors and a bunch of sets you built for a multi-million dollar movie which made its money back. Hey, here's a crazy idea. Why don't we all give them television contracts and make a Star Trek series? Oh, who could we get to help us set that up? I mean, who died? J.J. Abrams. Oh, he's never done a television series. Oh, wait. (laughs) So, you see, they had all the ingredients in place. I mean, really, there was no barrier. And what they chose to do instead is piss a bunch of money up the wall on a a sort of a secret remake of The Wrath of Khan uh, with uh, Humberding Wimberswatch. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. really... You know, having someone who loves the Wrath of Khan, you know, uh, I, I felt personally kind of violated on that one. And I'm sure Ian probably, I know we're not really going to talk about that, but I'm sure Ian wasn't yeah. entirely happy by that either. With the original Star Trek, yes, you're right, it was all the potential of where we were going to go with this. Not only is Into Darkness a squandering of, of that potential, it took them a bloody long time to get it out. Remember, Star Trek was actually a film that was held back. It was, it was ready for the previous year and they let it, let it sit and wait. 
Uh, and then there was a long gap before Into Darkness came out. And now we're going to, it's like, it's amazing that we, we, in this year, 2015, we've only had one more Star Trek film since then. They're hardly pumping these things out, are they? It's not like these actors yeah. are overly busy. So they really haven't been pushing the fund. If they knocked out like three, or maybe even four, which potentially once every other year would have been fine. Maybe we'd have a body of work now, and I might feel totally different about all this, but it's it's a very kind of once-in-a-blue-moon occasion, and it only takes one sucky film for this to stall again. I'm sorry to say, it's, it's Star Trek is a TV series, and now because we have this reboot, you've essentially landlocked the TV series. The TV series has nowhere to go because it, it can't step on the film's toes. All the ideas about a Star Trek series is, believe it or not, they've been knocked around these last few years in development hell, a kind of set in a sort of back-in-the-next-gen universe in a timeline that technically doesn't exist. Maybe now, not, maybe, I don't know, it's confusing. Oh, it just, in the end, I just yeah. feel like, oh, this is a, I, I kind of, yeah. The next step from Star Trek was not Into Darkness. The next step from Star Trek was a television series of the quality of Fringe, Set in the Star Trek universe. Good news, everyone. We've got, we now have, working on the script, we have the fanboy's fanboy, Simon Pegg, writing it. And he says he's he's been asked to take the Trek out of Star Trek, which fills me with hope and enthusiasm for the third film. I'm detecting some sarcasm. Uh, so not a great time to be a Trekkie, I suppose. Was um, but was it ever a good yeah. time? Yeah, was it ever a good time to be an Alan Moore fan? Watchmen came out this year. Yeah. Let us move on. Watchmen is very much... It occurs to me now that what, what does Watchmen have in common with Harry Potter? Well, the film kind of happens and there it is. I really enjoy Watchmen. Uh, now, with with one exception, I would say, one part of it, the kind of sex scene I didn't like at the time, I remember watching it with, you know, a bunch of us went off to yeah. see it, and I was, like, squirming in the cinema, going, ah, yeah. uncomfortable, this is horrible. With that part of it, like, I could remove that, um, I love it. Watchmen, for me, the graphic novel, was, like, groundbreaking for me, right? That was the point where I... My assessment of what a comic is, what a comic could be, changed fundamentally. I read that and I'm like, oh, my God, this is change. I'm going to look at things in a whole new light. I'm going to, you know, look into kind of darker, grittier stuff. It just blew my mind. And I and I read it a lot and I knew it intimately. And so when I'm and I've been wanting to someone to do a film, but, you know, you secretly kind of fear when you've got something cherished that someone's going to remake is going to be bloody awful and, and totally, you know, uh, totally changed beyond recognition. But it's made by a fanboy and it is like, it is close. It is bloody close to the vision that I remember. You know, just the look of it, the tone was spot on. They, the changes they made were really smart changes for like cinematic audiences now. I'm very, very pleased generally, you know, with, with The Watchmen. I thought the beginning was amazing. Like that got me. The first, the opening credits, I sat there going, oh, this is going to be good. I mean, just stunning. Say, so with kind of like one thing that I have a serious issue with, I love it. I think it's, um, yeah, it is, it is like done what it's done. You're on, well, I don't know. They're, they're, I think there's still talk about doing like prequels with the characters that might happen. I don't, who knows? They've done um, comic books. They've done, they haven't done the film. They've done the happy But, you know, it is intentionally kind of meant to be a standalone thing. Because, you know, it's like we set all this up and then, you know, we break it all. You know, that's 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 the thing. Um, I love it. I think it's like stunning, like adaptation of something. It got it right for me. Whether there are people who haven't read it, 
What they feel about it, I don't know. Well, hello. Yes, I, I hadn't read Watchmen. I still haven't read Watchmen, but I'm now a lot more familiar with it. I watched it and thought, this will make a really good comic book. I wasn't too sure about it being a film. I think it'll make a great HBO 10-part series. In the comic book series, is, in the, in the comic book series, Dr. Manhattan definitely has genitals on display. In the Watchmen film, Dr. Manhattan has a wang on display. It's like, well, it's quite well endowed. You've got him there. Before it was just kind of like you, know, Statue of David kind of genitals. But my goodness <laughs> me, this is a, this man is, well, he could control his, his own body. Why not? I'd give myself a large penis. Who wouldn't? Uh, well, there we go. <coughs> so, balls then. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So. If you wanted to see a big blue dick on screen, then it, it wouldn't be Avatar you'd be immediately thinking of. But anyway, that's... Uh... No, I was, I was just... Yeah, I think that my thing is... To a certain extent, it's a, for me, it's like, it's caught in amber. It's a thing that was done. And I think this is a time when people are learning that, you know, this is where you have a transition in CGI from, oh, that's a bit ropey to, uh, now we can pretty much pull off everything as long as we do it the right way. And then you discover, ah, but now we can do this incredibly complicated thing and make it so perfect. But it sort of becomes a bit sterile for that. And that's why I feel, I feel there's no emotional undercurrent. I, I didn't get that. sexiness from it at all. It just felt like, ah, even without the sex scene, it just oh, felt the sex scene dirty. Is like sexy. It's uncomfortable and horrible. Well, it, all the sexuality in the film is pretty horrible and uncomfortable everywhere throughout. And it's not when you read it, it's not like sexy I, in that way. I, I, like, I, I agree with you. It probably isn't. It's actually when you see it as a film in, in one body of work. The, the rape the victim fact- having, having a bit of a thing for the man who nearly raped her was, was a bit off-putting, to be honest with you. You know, the whole point of the comic is to strip away all that fetishism of superheroes and that. That's the whole point of it. So it does that. It does leave you rather cold and stuff because the comic does. It's like, let's take our archetypes and here's what we'll strip them away bare and see what, you know. Um, and it, so it, it's just doing what the, what the novel does. I think that the thing is that it's almost like the polar opposite of the previous year's Punisher Warzone now I come to think about it. Because watching that again, I was like, wow, this is kind of brutal. Because they, they, they are equitable because Watchmen has some sequences where people go at each other with screwdrivers and drills and saws and all sorts of stuff. And whereas when you walk away from Punisher Warzone, you're like, wow, that was a bit crazy when you walk away from watchmen you go oh, that kind of happened and i think that's possibly where my problem lies you should feel at some point oh i'm disgusted by this or i'm outraged by that or and you're not really you just go mm, there it is it happened but was it was it a good year to be a horror fan in 2009 that is another question there was certainly a lot of horror on offer those being drag me to hell friday the 13th remake halloween 2 uh, remake of halloween 2 crazy uh, jennifer's body my bloody valentine 3d re- which is a remake of my bloody valentine orphan saw six six of them gosh the final destination the fourth kind which isn't a sequel even though it has a four in it never mind last house on the left another remake the unborn not a remake probably will never be remade and zombie land uh so it's like a bit of a shit sandwich really we've got the nice <laughs> pieces of bread drag me to hell and zombie yeah. land yeah. on the top and the bottom and in between a whole lot of rubbish yeah. really uh, i mean jennifer's body was supposed to be good and some people really liked it but trust me it wasn't 
and Saw 6 is where, you know, the, let's not forget that the one after Saw 6 is like, no, we're finishing this now because it kind of got to that point where it was like, really, they'd run out of ideas halfway through Saw 5 completely. I believe this is the one with Peter Outerbridge in it, Saw 6. It's, oh, it's so just, yeah, let's get through this. And then Saw 7 comes along and goes, yep, we are now going to get through this and finish it. And it makes a nice little sort of bloody punctuation mark on the end of the franchise. Saw 6 is definitely the worst Saw movie. So even the things that are technically different new franchises but look at the sheer volume of remakes mm. and sequels oh, yeah. and remakes you know, of sequels their stride with the stride with the reboot of the horror franchise aren't they and yeah i don't even remember there being a friday the 13th reboot that passed me by Friday the 13th is uh, great because it's offensive to Friday the 13th fans because, of course, the Friday the 13th, the original movie, uh, the killer is uh, famously not Jason. Spoilers, everybody, for that, what is it, uh, 35-year-old movie. Whereas in Friday the 13th, the reboot, oh, screw it, no, he's a zombie in a hockey mask with a machete. He doesn't get the hockey mask till like, the fourth movie in the original run. It's just a complete, like, oh, it's so ridiculously horrible and terrible for all the wrong reasons and then the fact that you've got halloween 2 which is a remake of a sequel to halloween is just like stupid i just want to make a special mention in the uh, turkey vault for orphan whose um strap line was you'll never guess her secret it's like well you'll never guess her secret secret if you don't think along the lines of it's a midget pretending to be a child because yes. if you thought that as you were walking in, it would be as a joke. And then when they're like, "No, you're really <laughs> seriously trying to sell us this," it's a midget <laughs> pretending to be a child. And it's, it's like, oh, it's Jimmy Cranky gone wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's so yeah. So basically, yeah, you've got you've got drag me to hell and zombie land, and after that, you got a whole heap oh, of God, just yeah, yeah, every yeah. time they try and do something new, it's all. And every time they try and do something old, it's offensive to fans of the original, and it's awful. So I think we can probably conclude off this that it was not a good year to be a horror fan. Uh, Zombieland, I may have remarked on this before, is a movie that gets better the more times you watch it which is very strange. Uh, there aren't many movies like this. But every time you stick on Zombieland, or at least I find, I have a good time. And yeah. I actually have... It kind of magnifies... As long as you... Obviously, I don't think you could watch it like three times on the trot and be... You know, by the time you've got to the end of the third one, you'd be like, yes, I've seen it. But if you just wait a decent amount of time put it on, you actually remember the good time you had watching it last time. And that makes this time even better because it adds a little r- misty-eyed moment of nostalgia oh, i remember last time I watched it. it was just as good oh it's so funny and it grows and it it's like a zombie apocalypse really and it keeps coming and it you know there's lots of it and you can't stop i'm gonna stop this now uh, well i'm you know i'm just not a horror fan in general so it's not there's not something to tempt me out to go see films but i have seen final destination and for me it's kind of an example of why i'm just not a horror fan because i don't actually enjoy seeing pretty ordinary people slowly dying horribly it's like watching an episode of casualty where people don't survive to the hospital scenes the final destination is distinct this is like fast and furious i think you may have seen final destination and not seen the final destination which is the last movie in that franchise do they kill death uh, at the end or something i've got no idea what happens but it's not the last honest. one is it yes it is one- Oh, but no, they might no. transition five. Isn't that after that? 
what you're looking at is the subtitle. It's called The Final Destination, but they also called it Final Destination 5 just to make it plain that it was the last oh, okay. series. Right. So, yeah, so that was the, this is the last, you know, The Final Destination. Oh, yeah, God. It's like, it's like if they called all the films in the Saw movie, yeah, like that. Saw, Saws, A Saw, at. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm, a, I'm a little sore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you, Zombieland obviously uh, nearly ended up in the comedy category because it is. Is it more co- comedy or more horror movie? I'd probably err on the side of comedy. Um, and of course, it's got the you know you've got Woody Harrelson, you got Emma Stone, you got I mean the the cast is incredible. It's a it's a kind of a smart comedy as, as well. It's not kind of just goofy like playing for laugh. It's kind of a genre a smart genre savvy kind yes. of comedy isn't it really? it gets away with ridiculous things like uh well that was nearly zombie kill of the day unfortunately yeah. today tallahassee lost out to and it cuts to like one of yeah. those like family guy style inserts yeah. of uh like a woman running away and then someone drops a piano on a zombie. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing i mean it's just got those little touches a simultaneously nostalgia inducing hilarious and tragic uh, cameo from bill murray Yes. So yes, absolutely amazing. Just, just uh, uh, words cannot impress how much this is one of the best zombie movies ever. Uh, and in fact, I might actually shut my gob now, uh, so that I've got something to say at another time, maybe about that yeah. movie. But it was in a good year in 2009 for the fan of literary adaptations. Well, I'm mm-hmm. taking literary in a broad sense here as adaptations of books because we had the man who brought us The Lord of the Rings and was still to bring us The Hobbit, bringing us The Lovely Bones. We had uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. We had The Time Traveller's Wife and we had New Moon, to which I would probably conclude in that little bundle. No, it was not a good year for fans of literary adaptations because with the exception of The Men Who Stare at Goats, which was all right to watch once the others are all uniformly terrible the lovely bones in particular is uh, takes the crown as the worst peter jackson movie he has ever made and he didn't even want to make it he made it because someone else dropped out he was like the supply teacher director of this movie which is just awful so yeah and we don't even need to talk about new moon and the time traveler's wife is only there because it has time travel in it but uh, to be fair it's oh it's one of those things where it's like you know like you usually get angry about a time travel movie or you nitpick that there's some kind of time traveling inconsistency in the plot logic you know back to the future i'm looking at you yeah in this one it's all about the i mean i suppose it is interesting in a way to have a movie where it's like yeah time travel doesn't cause paradoxes or anything but it does cause people some emotional heartache and some excuses for wistful staring and piano <laughs> music it's like what I think that the fundamental defying of the space-time continuum would have more effects than feeling a bit mopey. He doesn't understand how I feel, but that's because he's just dropped in from three weeks ago, and so he hasn't lived the intervening period. Or he's just popped in from the future, so to him this is all in the past. Oh, how shall I yearn? What? Um, I've seen Lovely Bones. I've seen The Many Stereo Goats. Oh, well, nobody's seen New Moon uh, that, at this that. table. No, we, we don't do that stuff. I've seen the top three. And, yeah, Men Who Stare at Goats um, is okay. I, didn't think, I thought Lovely Bones was okay. I didn't, I didn't think it was all for. Oh, God, enough. it was. Really? Were you, were you, right. you on some kind of medication? Because, <laughs> uh, really, I mean, it was like... 
I was killed by Stanley Tucci and left in a basement. And then I got to mope around a bit. And then there was a bit which is a bit like I was trapped in a lava lamp or something. And then it was all over and we learned something I, existential. I think I liked the ending particularly, but I just, um, I don't know. I think it was all quite, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a huge problem with it. It was fine. If you're going to talk about the worst Peter Jackson film, there was things that offended me a lot more than that. Like what? Like Hobbit Part 3. Or, oh well, yeah. Or, I mean, that, or, you know, it's like it was. It just washed over me. It's not something I feel I need to watch again. It was just what it is. So I, so I was just like, oh, okay, all right. Let's start. Hobbit Part Three is just pointless, though. It's not. I mean, I, I actually think I found the Lovely Bones borderline offensive. Oh, okay, so that's fine. All I right. Just, um, it was like yeah. it, it. It didn't really affect me on whether I was like, okay, that was that inappropriate well as it washed over you i think possibly my problem and sue's problem as well was when we thought about what was happening a little bit much and therefore it became oh this is actually quite offensive let's let's walk away so yeah that's that's your literary ad- adaptation saying so only four movies and all of them were a bit rubbish so uh maybe you feel a bit depressed after that so you want to laugh now it has come to my attention that comedies are getting a bit of a rough ride at the moment well this is the year i think that created our current position where they try and get you with one or two big comedies instead of peppering the year with comic treats so we get 17 again fanboys i love you man land of the lost lesbian and vampire killers the hangover haunting no the haunting in connecticut has managed to get out of the horror section Go well, back to horror section. It's laughable, so, <laughs> um, well the haunting in connecticut is just in part of that shit sandwich so i'll just move <laughs> that back up there and we didn't even need to talk about it because it's that bad sorry the invention of lying is the other one yeah now, the thing that we're t- we're looking at here is the hangover uh which of course set this precedent for the massive summer comedy kind of thing because it absolutely broke the bank and everything yeah, was like wow it's fantastic the uh, unintended consequence of the hangover is that now you get these years where there's like five comedies all year like mm-hmm. really the i mean i've p- picked up some of the major comedies and fanboys but the, yeah some years you get a lot of comedy this year not so much and, and of the others uh 17 again is inoffensive fanboys is forgettable i love you man is hilarious but didn't do very well at the time because it's kind of a weird concept or at least yes. it was at the time land of the lost uh, apparently really pissed off people who like land of the lost i didn't mind it uh, because it was silly enough to to not annoy me it's okay but it's not yeah uh, lesbian vampire killers i haven't seen because uh, apparently it's so it dreadful it's not right it's not yeah. right and uh, the invention of lying is where ricky gervais finally managed to make a, a dent in the u.s uh, with a fairly forgettable kind of twilight zone thing it has some great moments in it but overall it kind of drags on a bit so and then the hangover killed everything and made loads of money so there we go i've um, heard i've heard of the hangover yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth watching. No, I would, t- I actually would say that if you were going to watch one movie off that list, I Love You Man is the one to watch. Yeah, I Love You Man is good. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed that. Wasn't, wasn't Lesbian Vampire Killers a joke in Red Dwarf at one point? The sort of film Lister would watch. That seems to be. I guess, I guess so. It's I mean, just not, you know, it's like the heart is there. It's just not good enough. That's the problem. It's just, 
no. You're expecting it to be better than it is. That's the problem. I'm not sure that I would with a name like Lesbian Vampire, vampire Killers. Due to the yeah, fact but you that think that what you think is that the makers have kind of got their tongue in cheek and they're kind, they're kind of chosen that for a reason. And they, yeah, no, know, what, what I like, think is that they're trying too hard to give the impression you're just talking about. And yeah. that's why I'm walking away. Oh, that's yeah. right. Red Dwarf, it was Revenge of the Surfboarding Killer Bikini Vampire Girls. I just kind of think <laughs> the title just sums no. that feeling up. And that, well, no, you see, that shows you exactly the point. If they'd have actually called it Revenge of the Surfer, blah, 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 all of that, that would have been like, okay, they might have a point here. I think fundamentally the problem is that the two main characters and the two actors just aren't great film actors. They're perfectly fine in Gavin and Stacey, and some would say, you know, kind of, uh, they're great in that. Um, you put them on a big screen, they can't really fill it, and that's that's always going to be a problem, really. So yeah, it doesn't really work. So I will just I will just spare a moment to uh, tell people who haven't seen I Love You Man to go and see it. And the reason why is because this is um this is the world's only I think deeply important bromance comedy on the ground that at the beginning of the film uh, Paul Rudd plays a character who has who proposes to his girlfriend who says yes. So he's got a perfectly fine love life. They established this right up the front. He had no problem getting and keeping a long-term girlfriend. He is now going to marry and make his at which point she mentions the fact that because you know when you get married you're supposed to have a stag do she kind of says well you should have a you know a stag do and but she says oh but you haven't really got any friends have you and he's like i've got friends and then it becomes blatantly apparent that although he's fine in his family i mean they even go to the length of giving him a gay brother who gets on with his dad better than he does, that he basically is fundamentally unable to relate to other men. He just, he just can't do it. So then he meets, um, Jason Segal, not literally the actor, the actor is playing the character. He, he's an estate agent and this guy turns up to a house viewing and this guy is like the uber dude. He lives in a garage with his drum set and like, he basically lives in a man cave that's a garage, this guy. And he's at the house viewing, not because he wants to buy the house, but he's learned it's a great place to surf the buffet. Then he, and he knows exactly how to sec- secretly fart so it doesn't offend anyone, but it's still kind of funny. I mean, he, this guy is like the dude, you know, he is a man through and through and so paul rudd befriends this man i mean the thing is what it teaches you is that a man who is that manly who's that much of a bloke will relate to even a man who just isn't blokey at all just can't because he's that blokey that that's kind of the brotherhood of man stuff and he this this guy is totally irresponsible and that's where the humor comes from on the one hand you have paul rudd completely the the fantastic moment where they go out on their first mandate where they go to have fish tacos at a bar and drink beer and talk about man stuff and then at the end of the evening instead of their last kiss they have to say goodbye to each other with some hand gestures and a nickname and paul rudd goes so i'll uh hit you up again jobin and Jason Scales like, did you just say Jobin? He said, yeah, he said, don't do that again. All right, then fine. I'll, uh, I'll call you. Okay, then cool. And that's it. And it's just, yeah, it just does every trope of a romantic comedy and all the moments, but it does it in a way where it's two guys trying to male bond. You know, one guy just can't and the other guy just does it effortlessly. That's kind of funny. And yeah, it's a great movie for that point because it takes a point, it sticks to it, and you don't need another one. You don't need I Love You Man again or I Love You Man T-O-O as they would have done in the 80s. Mm. It's this fine standalone moment. 
Uh, but we're going to finish off 2009 now with a look at the explosions of 2009. And it was a year of very mixed explosions. I haven't called them bad explosions and good explosions. I've called them bad explosions and better explosions. Some of them are good, but some of them aren't. The, in the bad explosions category, we have 2012. Angels and Demons, which doesn't even have... Well, it does have an explosion. One explosion at the end. Yeah, yeah. Armoured, Blood the Last Vampire, Fast and Furious, the nadir of that world-beating franchise. Knowing, oh God, knowing, which I suppose should be in sci-fi in a way, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, what a what a tale of woe that is. I mean, for God's sake. I mean... I have a knowing story. Knowing is without a doubt. Oh my God. The most offensive movie on a spiritual level to atheists, to Christians, to any given spiritual sect of any sort. It's just offensive. And the fact that they even thought that that was okay in any way. I mean, it's offensive to human beings. If you're not a human being, you probably think it was a really crappy thriller. If you are human and you walk out and you're not just like, that was poo and makes me hurt in my heart, then you're not human. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you can like ignore that if you could, if you walk out 15 minutes early, you know, you might well be, you might just be disappointed. So maybe that's what people should do, really. They must see this yeah. film, which I don't encourage. No, 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 but the point is, if you walk out 15 minutes early, you're just like, mm, that was rubbish. Yeah. I think in order to get the thing out of it that the movie has to deliver to the universe, what you have to do is watch it right through to the end. And I remember I was in the cinema, my jaw actually dropped. At yeah. that. I was thinking, they're not really doing this, are they? This is yeah. a, like, <laughs> oh my. Good grief. And that's the point. That was, yeah. you know, roller coaster of the bad kind. But yep. yeah, that, otherwise all you get is meh. At least the fact that it exists in its entirety means that well, whoever was responsible for that in terms of writing and whatever, hopefully goes away and never does anything else. I'm not even going to check that just on the no. basis that it might depress me if I learned the answer. Ian, do you even know about this film? Knowing. I saw yeah. a trailer for it, and I think I avoided it, knowing it would only make me angry. Um, well, you, knowing you could say, yeah, what you've what you've got in your head there is an idea of how angry it would make you. That is nothing compared no. to the incandescent fury yeah. that you would feel just in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, be like, yeah. holy crap! It's a very really? smutsy, condescending answer. Or something? No, 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 no. Quite exactly the opposite. No, right. I may as well. Let's go let's on. go for let's, it. Let's right. uh, spoilers, everyone, for this movie that nobody should ever watch under any circumstances. Basically, you get this whole thing. What happens when the numbers run out? Now, obviously, the first thing, yeah. So there's a thing they find in a time capsule that that has all this writing all over it. This crazy kid did when she was like 12 or something, and it has numbers on it. And Nicholas Cage takes her home and finds that the numbers relate to dates and coordinates where disasters happen and there's great loss of life, and then the numbers stop. Now, of course one answer to what happens when the numbers run out it's like where well, you should give her a new piece of paper maybe that is one answer. oh but this is the knowing ah. yes 
there's, there's the answer that they want to get that, that you obviously are supposed to. And this is the strange thing, because obviously you're supposed to instantly say, well, of course, when the numbers run out, the world ends. And then you're like, yes, but obviously it's a twist movie. So there's going to be some kind of. No, I'm with, I no, yes, yes. No, there is no twist. The world ends when the numbers run out because the whole thing is set up by. I'm not saying, right, it was aliens. But it was aliens. They are broadcasting to the minds of various young people on the face of the planet. It's sort of a sort of a codex to, yeah, these, yeah. Uh, to these disasters to tell you, hey, you realise what's going to happen? There's going to be a big solar flare, and then the entire world's going to end. But it's all right because the aliens come along and they pick up the children that they've identified with this crazy sort of psychic stuff, and they they kind of do a sort of a Pied Piper Hammond thing, and they take them away in their alien spaceships, leaving everybody else to die and at the end of the film a huge cleansing fire comes from the sun and wipes the earth clean until it is just a lifeless hunk of rock which they do with lots i mean it's like a disaster movie that lasts five minutes it's kind of like 2012 if 2012 didn't take two and a half hours basically it's five minutes it's like the microwave version of 2012 you just pierce the lid a bit put it in five minutes and it goes ping and you it's kind of like the end of the film is grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and going atheists with your aliens this is what you want isn't it this is what you want and then it kind of slaps you in the face and goes hey christians this is that apocalypse you keep going on about and then it slaps you in the face and goes jehovah's witnesses it just takes every religion and goes, yeah this is the end of the world this is what you're asking for isn't it you know when you go with that thing saying the end is night this is what you're asking for are you happy now and you're like wow <laughs> yes that okay. <laughs> I actually I was confusing this with a different film that had had a kind of afterlife element to it. But uh no yes, I I do know of the knowing. I didn't I forgot it was called yes. this. Yes, the ending is completely ridiculous. I remember thinking, Oh, thank God the white kids survived. Phew. <laughs> also how yeah, how are those children going to survive in the wilderness with no one to protect them? I, I'm sure they'd be able to build shelter. Well done there, aliens. Good well thought yeah. out plan there. So, Again, it's like another example of the day the Earth still, still reboot. It's like dickish aliens who just turn up and just go ah, and then just like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, at least knowing performs one useful function, just, which means which is yeah. that it means that X Men Origins Wolverine isn't the worst movie of the year. <laughs> so you know. Yeah. Well, can I just put out? Why can't the aliens just turn up, take the children, and go away? Why do they have to go? You're all gonna die. You're all gonna die. I told you. What's all yeah. about? Uh, anyway, know. moving on. Yes. Really, right, there okay. Pretty bad stuff here, though. 2012. Oh my god. So actually, I quite like the day. No, not um, the day after tomorrow. Where it was called, which was the kind of the thing that the people that made Independence Day went on. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I thought, like, um, you know, I actually quite liked that because it wasn't the big stupid let's destroy the earth thing it had some thought i know people will probably don't like it but i i quite like that it's got stupid science in it but still and then they kind of went oh no let's forget about that let's go back to destroying the earth again in like big and it, and it is really stupid all, i mean it is just all the characters terrible. that i i actually had any interest in surviving all died it has the thing that I really, one of my pet hopes with film is when the effects become so laughable and ludicrous. I'm looking at you, uh, Jupiter Ascending, is that you feel like you're just watching a video game and therefore your level of threat is gone because you know that they'll survive it. And it starts like that with 2012. It's like you know, there's John Cusack in a limousine driving, jumping through collapsing buildings, just managed to jump the little gap there is as an entire structure collapses. I'm like, no, this you'll be dead. This, this is pointless. Why are we even trying to imagine that you could survive 
this thing. And it's just like it goes goes on like that again and again. It's always oh, and it's like no, you're trying you're trying to create this like believable end of the world situation, and it's a cartoon. It's like none of this makes any sense at all, and it just keeps going on and on and on. It's just utterly awful. I would say one good thing for about 2012 is that for a while, I think it managed to kill this disaster fetish movie yeah. type thing i mean you know if you think about back to you know the days of deep impact and armageddon and volcano and all of yeah. these things and, and of course with the previous years you had poseidon and things like that yeah 2012 kind of put a full stop on that because you once you've done the oh, entire the, world yeah, going it goes up. Far in terms of your um, show and, and and now yeah and now we're expected to trot along and watch uh, dwayne johnson flying a helicopter through california and san francisco getting sucked into a hole in the ground and i'm like yeah. I, I mean that's why i always thought this is a bad idea San Andreas, but there we go. We're well, you know, the, the disaster movies, you're just like, it's like towering inferno, you're in a bad space, and it's a survival thing to get out and survive it. thing is, 2012, the entire world dies, and even if you survive, you've got to start over again with a load of rich assholes for company. So really, yeah. I might also, yeah. uh, just to be a pedant here, the main calendar does not predict the end of the world in 2012, and uh, neither does the Bible. Thank you. Moving no. on. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. So, uh, better explosions this year. Uh, we had the sequel to Crank, which is just as bonkers yeah. as Crank. In fact, more bonkers than Crank. Taking a Pelham 123 is forgettable, but you know, it happened. So we mention yeah. it. Uh, Gamer was, uh, I mean, it's a good year for Neville Dean and Taylor yeah. to offend people with their uh, various levels of violence and weird cultural hijacking. Inglorious Bastards happened this year. Law Abiding Citizen. Ninja Assassin, which we've talked about before, yeah. but it happened so i'm mentioning it uh robert downey jr uh was surprisingly good as action sherlock yep. Holmes, victorian action detective and taken uh, yep. revolutionized the approach to low budget horror in this year so i mean now that i actually come to look at it i think that your action fan was quite well served i think that's yep. where the where the, i didn't really consciously do this i was hurriedly making some notes but I, I know that we always like to end on a high and if we take out you know the the forgettable moments such as law abiding citizens and Ninja Assassin and taking of Pella 1, 2, 3, there's plenty for people to uh, enjoy uh, in the uh, I mean, you know, that's fine I've, I've seen Sherlock Holmes. I saw it at Christmas time. It was a family outing film for this year after the abysmal <laughs> day of the year stood still last Oh, well, you, you obviously were, naught, you were on the nice list this year instead of the naughty one. Yes, very good. I, of the two Sherlock Holmes films we've had, this was my favourite. This one has a genuine mystery that has to be solved uh, in the film, whereas the second one didn't really. You know, it just kind of had, look, Moriarty, everybody! In fact, I'm a bit pissed off they just killed off Irene Adler straight away at the beginning of the next, spoilers everyone, next Sherlock film, uh, with very little commentary. I actually, believe it or not, I have not seen Taken, because I feel I've been told about it so much I, I don't really need to. I mean, there's a difference between being told about Taken and watching it. I, I saw it again recently and was enjoying it just as much. It's, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's a good one. You need to, you need to watch it. Yeah. I think the thing about Taken is the glee with which it rides roughshod over. I mean, what the point is that Taken is, 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 you know, as I contend, modern pulp. And this just completely fits, it, it slips its foot into the glass slipper of pulp and just goes, there we go, you see? And, and, you know, it's the glee uh, with which you watch the kind of the revenge uh, unfold. And Liam Neeson brings just that, well, this kick started Liam Neeson into he that space. Really. Liam um, Neeson, this is what you'll be doing for the rest of your career. So he didn't mind. Don't- 
fun with that. Yeah, well, he's bringing some some kind of gravitas to yeah. absolutely ludicrous kind of action uh, suspense. Where it goes wrong, it tends to be with him these days, is that when the actual source material is quite hard-boiled to start with, he's not the right person because he doesn't... What he needs to do is bring seriousness to r- ridiculous fluff, not... He's already serious enough. So if the material is quite unpleasant to start with, you need someone a bit lighter to be the, the man who walks down the mean streets. And uh, ironically, Liam Neeson is too gritty for that. Is, is, you see what I mean? You know, he's gritty for stupid stuff. But, yeah, oh, my daughter's been kidnapped and now I'm going to go and kill a whole bunch of French dudes. That's fine. But when it's like a walk among the tombstones where it's like, oh, everybody's miserable, people have drinking problems, blah, 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 and everything's really unpleasant. Yeah, weirdly, the person who gets away with stuff like that is is someone like Nicolas Cage. Because remember, he made 8mm. And yeah. it's just Nicolas Cage himself is so ridiculous that when the material is you so need, dark, he kind of to, mitigates You need some kind of juxtaposition of you can't just have it all one way, is what you're saying, which is, makes sense, really, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, it's like the, either the character has a lightness to them which ameliorates the darkness of the surroundings, or the character has a darkness to them which lends an area of seriousness to something that if someone else was... I mean, let's just reimagine Taken with Nicolas Cage in the lead role. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah? It's a hilarious laugh fest. It's not serious at all. And that is the problem, you see, and that is what... So it's weird. It's like Liam Neeson and Nicolas Cage are two sides of the same coin. Oh, there's there's a plot for Nick's face-off film, I think. (laughs) Face-off (laughs) 2. They have a particular set of faces. (laughs) Uh, Let's just take a moment to end on a glorious Technicolor high. Crank and Gamer, Crank High Voltage and Gamer came out this year. Now, I'm rather disappointed that Neville Dean and Taylor... Uh, had this brief, I mean, it's a bit like Crank itself. They have this brief moment in the sun where they make all these uh, horrendously offensive action movies, which are just hilarious to watch the old people uh, get all their panties in a bunch about, oh, he shoots the woman through her implants and then they think it's funny when all the blood and goo get, yes, it is funny because the whole film is like that. It's just this ridiculous, one point in Crank, he has a fight with someone with a giant papier-mâché head on on a model of a bloody electricity substation. It's meant to be some kind of cheap Godzilla ripoff. Crank is a film in which Jason Statham is uh, is a man with an electric heart who appears in flashbacks as a little kid, you know, little uh, sort of chavvy kid with Jerry Halliwell as his mother. I mean, for God's sake, if, you, if you're worrying about the levels of violence in this movie, then you're watching the wrong bloody movie. I, th- I have to say that I do. This is this is. I'm grateful of my friendship with Leo on this because I would. Ne- I'm not someone who would ever probably have ever gone and seen Jason Statham in anything. Certainly not these. And uh, having done so, they are incredibly entertaining. I'm. I you know. And uh, yeah. I mean, the the two of the crank are crazy, and I love them. They're just mad. Uh, I love them. And I, think, I think Gamer, which is kind of a little bit more serious, has Gerard Butler in it, so how serious yeah. can it be? But it actually has that kind of sci-fi edge. I mean, well, the first time I saw it, I thought, well, that's actually pretty 
bloody amazing and then and then sue i went to take it was that good i went to see it twice and took sue in to see it when sue went to see it she said yeah it's not really human though really is it and that was the, that's the big f- i i have to live with that that later on you go yeah it says some important things about culture but it does so without any kind of emotional heart and that is a bit of a problem and uh, w- one of the things i really enjoy about it is the fact that critics absolutely hate them and cannot see what they are i think may in some ways these are films that are yet to have their day and they will bake and then one time around 2022 or something someone go oh remember those films they were great and suddenly mm-hmm. there'll be these cult classics from history but yeah they're in that point at the moment where i was like oh who wants to watch that and the thing that lets you know that they're culturally relevant is the fact that so many people find them deeply offensive and yeah. advise people warn them of say don't watch this because it'll just make you angry and offensive not in a way that knowing does where i say no literally dude you have you mean in a way i say if you want to watch that movie you have to watch it all the way through to the bitter end because all the emotional payoff is in that last terribly offensive moment whereas uh, these people are going oh never watch these movies they're culturally worthless and as soon as somebody says that you know that somebody's made something culturally worthwhile because it's pushed their buttons and if it pushes your buttons it's not culturally worthless Um, is that an interesting note to end on so before we get quite to that moment of cracking open the champagne we've come all the way 35 years 1975 to 2009 and we've covered a lot of movies but if there are movies that we haven't covered that people are like well what about this movie uh ian where might they go to moan at us about this so that we can not listen to their feedback well one place they could go uh, to give some belated feedback about how we should handle your movies would be our facebook page you can find on forward slash revenge of the 80s kids uh it is our community hub we put up links to our podcast there as well as links we find interesting but podcasts are what it's all about and for those who want a point to web browser towards 80s kids and that's 80s as in letters so e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s kids.podmat.com uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast whilst you can uh, or download your pc for dark reasons of your own uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to the 80skids.blogspot.com, where you can find a full archive of all our shows ever, mostly, uh, and uh, you can download them for your own amusement. Hundreds of shows there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this is not the only place you can find us. If you want to seek down individual 80s kids, you can go to such places as... Uh, leostableford.com where a bunch of stuff that I do is about uh, we've got loads of stuff I mean this is a good time to get into the, the leostableford.com business because there's going to be videos there's going to be novels there's going there's articles uh, linked out uh, and we're writing for Trash Mutant at the moment and, and all sorts of exciting things are happening there uh, but all of that is pretty uh, wordy stroke video-y it, it, I don't really do drawings uh, if you want to look at sort of uh, art uh, you know, high art, uh, beautiful beautifully hand-drawn illustrations of things like, I don't know, people having autopsies in the 19th century and whatnot. <laughs> Where might they go to do that, Justin? Um, you will find, thank you, uh, you will find plenty of examples of my uh, art from, of what, of just my own things entertaining myself or maybe some professional stuff as well on my art page and that is uh, uh, under uh, justinwhites.deviantart.com the fireworks have started and the music has begun. 
So, uh, Leo, uh, I'd like to sum up a little bit before we end. Now, we, we've just completed an, the whole decade of the noughties, and we ended in this decade with, with, with an awful lot of hope and enthusiasm. Thank God the 90s is over. But as we've trundled towards the end, we've definitely had a few years where we went, oh, God, this was the year of those films. Uh, and so, actually, nostalgia has been has been chipped away slightly by the process of, of, of doing this little noughties uh, reflection. How do you feel about the noughties as a whole? I think that, yeah, what I've discovered is that uh, the noughties was a time where when it was good, it was very, very good. And when it was bad, it was worse than the 90s. <laughs> and I think what happens is that you go and see a good movie and it kind of buoys you up and you bounce along and you forget so much easier because that's the thing where the 90s had a shortcoming was that when it was good it was alright and that meant that when it was terrible it was terrible and therefore you go wow that was a decade of not much, I mean remember when we did our top fives of the 90s there was a lot of crossing over, a lot of the films came in the same place, so the things that were really really deeply affecting were, were a little bit fewer and a little bit further between, whereas here there's plenty of value, I mean you've got to remember that as well, film production went up so you couldn't possibly see anything so it, everything rather so it, it came down to well, you know did you choose if you chose well during these t- you know 10 years there were a couple there was one year in particular 2007 where you would probably still end up with some stinkers but overall you could go through entire years and not know that terrible dreck was coming out at all because the things you went to see were perfectly fine um, and I think that's the way it is when you actually sit down and look at the years you go oh my god that movie which you may, may have caught later on DVD or somewhere else and that's why you suddenly have this bad taste in your mouth but that's not such a big impact as far as going to the cinema was concerned you could pretty much pick and choose uh, no I mean, absolutely I mean I think that now is the time I mean to you know there's so much there is so much on the screen and it doesn't last as long as it used to that you do have the chance and you can find out about you know there's plenty of people like ourselves you know ranting and raving about films you can get a good sense of whether somebody's an utter stinker or not so you can pick and choose now we're you know i mean i think it's suitable that we're we're looking you know we've looked far back and have come to this point because now you know we've got the way cinema is now is built on these foundations of think the films we've talked about in the past so now we have, and a pretty, you know, it's a pretty firm footing for a lot of genres, which up until, you know, the kind of uh, the late 90s and noughties, you know, just weren't going anywhere. But now we have, you know, this kind of groundwork being set in place. And sure, there'll be, there'll be bad movies, you know, there will be, there'll be terrible reboots. But, you know, unless, you know, you have no concept of films in the past or anything, you can avoid them because there will be plenty of things to look forward to and see. So, you know, I think, you know, this we've seen the journey of this over the last 35 years, the point now where we, we're living in a golden age of cinema. We are. Um, how long it lasts, who knows, but we're going to enjoy it while we can. I mean, I think, I think what I would uh, say from the whole journey is that uh, it is definitely the case that, you know, we call this Revenge of the 80s Kids. We spent a long time in the 80s, obviously, what, 10 years. And what I note about the different flavour of the decades is that you get kind of the late 70s is where that kind of let's push everything and be really crazy kind of reached its natural death as 
as things got really, really weird, you know, like Zardoz and things like that. And then in the 80s, what they did was they were definitely trying to make a business out of cinema, but they still didn't really know what was going to sell big. And so the 80s has the biggest amount of creativity. Like, as, as much as I'd like to say that, you know, creativity in the sense of, like, just raw invention is is alive and well, there's not much evidence for that, really. The 2000s was the year, the 10 years that Hollywood got to grips with digital. And it, that's what's written all over it. And what that means is that when it comes to, like, raw creativity, what they're having a problem with is that, you know, as budgets escalate and as it all goes a bit mental, they, they just have to be more and more conservative about the creative chances that they take. And everything's a reboot or a throwback. And, and the 80s didn't have that. The 80s had some actual imagination and invention. So it's not just nostalgia, kids. If you didn't live through the 80s and didn't have a chance to go to the cinema during that most wonderful of decades, you yeah. lost out. Ha ha, sucks to be you. That's not to say things are bad now, it's just that everything that's there is kind of a bit safer. Even the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which takes great risks in the way, in its scope and its imagination, is based on a bunch of properties that are over half a century old. So, I think for me, really, the question I'm, I'm really left with after all this, and I've pondered on it for some time, is what the hell do we call the decade we're living in now? Is it the teenies? What is it? <laughs> well, thankfully, we won't really have to worry about that because that's not where our ship is sailing. Due to the fact that, I mean, I think that there was definitely a case. It got to about 2005, 2006, and people were like, we, we were all like, um, well, okay, now we're getting into this area where it feels like I only saw this last week. And we didn't. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, all of this stuff that we're looking at now is over five years old half a decade it doesn't i mean one of the weird things for me was when i saw that this is the year of x-men wolverine origins wolverine i think of that film as a very old and terrible moment in cinema history and yet it's just as old as something like you know crank high voltage which i see as a lot a lot newer and so yeah it's weird how time plays games with that it's quite sad because we have definitely followed the development of comic books over the years. And I suppose we should say that they, we should really say the pinnacle was Dark Knight in the previous year episode. It, it's a shame in many ways that our final iteration of a comic book movie is Wolverine Origins, the one that, that even X-Men pretends but doesn't if exist. If we're making this, if we're making this in 2009, you know, then we may well be thinking like we're not really sure what's going to happen. Is Marvel going to be following it up? Is they going to? Yeah. Um, and but now we have the hindsight yes. of looking back, going, well, it's in good hands. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah we're, 2009 we're, 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 is. We've been saying we have grim feelings about X Men First Class. Yeah, 2009 is a, is a year which uh, I think is brilliant uh, in in sort of a broader conceptual sense for ending the journey on because of the fact that there is absolutely nothing remarkable about it whatsoever and it just uh, serves to prove our point that we've had before that with the exception of 1999 the year that changed movies when the decade changes or the de- yeah you don't just suddenly go and now we're into this type of movie and the old decade takes a while to go away and and so on and so forth and and this is exactly that 2009 you know just like 1989 has nothing particularly of note and it's like there's some bits and bobs but it's it's a bit of a grab bag really but that's what history is like we do you know you think of the movies of the 80s and you, you know some of the movies of the 80s are really movies of 
of the 90s and some of them are movies of the 70s and some of the other movies that you think of aren't really oh is that in the 80s god wow who would have thought what i like about this year as a an end point is its complete lack of any kind of signature hallmark if we'd have finished in 2008 with iron man and incredible hulk yeah. coming out that would have been like and that's a full stop but what's happened is we've kind of got three words into the next sentence and have gone right and now we're stopping and that's the way history works isn't it you know yeah. just it keeps rolling and we've got you know all the things to come captain america thor the first avengers movie blah 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 and but they're in the future and in 2009 if you just took that slab of films there'd be no indication of what was to come and i think that's something that we've learned during the journey as well so uh, there we go well the the realization the enormity of that the fact that we have in fact done what we set out to do all of those two years ago is is starting to sink in and i think it has made me recover sufficiently that now i can face our doom at the hands of our arch nemesis we've never met before uh-huh. uh, mr lebuff so uh, <laughs> let us get on with that directly after Indeed. the credit is it for those of you listening at home to all the chat about movies though Bye-bye. Farewell, my friends. It's been fun. It's been awesome. I should point out, we still do have the top fives to do. We do. So, you know, well, spoilers, there. we don't die. Thank you, Leo. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I put all this work into those bloody clips and tell them the end. <laughs> Screw this. Up. I'm going for a long walk on Frankston Beach to think about how I've wasted my time and reconsider what I'm going to do myself. So long! <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll be in my Winnebago. <laughs> I'm obviously Mad Max, so bring it on. Ah, yes. Discussion of the films of 2009 and the realisation that our quest is at an end has brought me back to my senses. If I'm honest, I had thought that the realisation of this achievement would have fewer shackles and less heavily armed killer robots, but still, top of the world, Mom, hey, who's with me, hey? How touching. How very, very wonderful. And, of course, pathetic and miserable. At last, 80s kids, you are forced to confront the consequences of your actions. How do you feel? Tell me, knowing that you have wrought your own destruction. Okay, I know I missed a lot of the shows during this run, so come on. Which of you two pissed this guy off so badly? No, Justin, you don't understand. None of us know who this guy is. No, I've come to my senses completely unaware who this weirdo is. I don't recognise the shiny knee boots, the swishy cloak, the light-up panel on his chest, or the paper bag on his head. What is this? A final game? Your last measly attempt to best me? This pretense of ignorance? Even I did not think you could sink so low. Or maybe we just don't know who the hell you are. No matter. For now you are in my power, and I shall happily crush you in the service of my master and in the glory of my vengeance. (laughs) 
there is one reason why we don't know who we are, you know. And it would mean you can't kill us now. Oh, and what is that? We could be from your past, but you could be from our future. Oh no, are things going to get timey-wimey? I hate it when that happens. No, 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 no. Things are not going to get timey-wimey, slimy, or even grimy. You will die, all of you, right now. Don't panic. I can get us out of this. Follow me. This way! Well, okay. It looks like Ian's running away. On the face of it, cowardly. But, you know, I think cowardly is the new black. Ditto! You cannot escape me, 80s kids. I will have my revenge. I've got a stitch. Quick, guys, in here. This looks cozy. I'm too scared to think. Inside, tighter. There. I can't help but notice this is a maintenance closet. I can't help but notice that this appears to be our only strategy in the face of imminent fatality. Don't worry, I have it all under control. There, all done. There's no point. This bulkhead is reinforced. It'll take you about six hours to get through it. But I have six hours, and you have nowhere to go. Those both seem like excellent points. They would be if they were both utterly wrong. Explain. I used this console to tap into the ship's meta-narrative control device. We've had it set to ARC for the entire run of the series, so we could continue to fly away from Big Bay and towards, um, some form of help, maybe. Uh, but now LeBuff is here, and the ARC is no good. If the episode ends in ARC mode, he'll still be right there waiting for us at the beginning of the next instalment. This still doesn't sound fun. But... I've just moved the main setting from arc to episodic. Uh, what that means is at the end of every episode, the plot completely resets, as if nothing had actually happened at all. Quite a few spacecraft use it because it smooths over personal tensions. It also means that when you're stranded in some far-flung corner of the galaxy with limited supplies, you can fly for up to seven seasons and never run out of Lapsang Sushong in replication devices. I think I see where this is going. So, we don't have to defeat the buff, really. The end of the episode will do that for him. And how long is it till the end of the episode? Oh, not long now. About ten seconds? And there.